Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Carly Guyman. And I'm Shailen Back. We're your co-hosts. Today, we're excited to welcome Kayleen Harding to the studio as our guest. Kayleen, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for being here with us today. As a brief introduction to our guest, Sister Kayleen P. Harding is a member of the General Primary Advisory Council and has been since the beginning of 2020. She was born in Salt Lake City, Utah, and received a degree in home economics education from Brigham Young University. She and her husband, David, have four children and 15 grandchildren, and they actually served as mission leaders in the Baltic Mission. And then for several years, they also served as branch president and branch missionary at the Pro-MTC. And we will dive into some of those experiences a little more in the questions. But first of all, I think this is so fascinating. I love getting to know the members of the advisory councils because it's one thing to read their bios, but you don't really learn much about them. Mm -hmm. So it's another to just have these conversations. And we found an article, Kayleen, that you wrote as part of a church news series titled Women of Covenant. And we'll link to that in our show notes. But you shared that you had the opportunity to live on the Martin Harris Farm in Palmyra, New York, when you were only nine years old. And this is just such a neat story to me. And in one of our previous conversations, you shared with us that in this time of your young life, it was actually when your first real stirrings of a testimony of the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon and of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the prophet Joseph Smith began. Kayleen, will you share your experience with our listeners of why you and your family were living there and how your testimony really began? Yes, thank you. My dad was uh, working with seminaries and institutes and then had been invited to BYU. And while he was working on his dissertation, he was doing research for the early New York period of the church and also doing some microfilming of archives in that area. So we were given the privilege of living at this historical site, the Martin Harris Farm. And there's a beautiful old cobblestone, lake stone home that sits on the property. And my sister and I shared the upstairs bedroom. And (laughs) as people would come to the home during the daytime, it was open to the public. There were two beautiful rooms on the ground floor that were set up to accept visitors and teach them about why that historical site was significant. Mm -hmm. So all around the perimeter of both of those rooms, there were glass cases that contained copies of the Book of Mormon that were translated into all of the different languages that were then available, maybe 25 or 30 of them, and also including an original copy of the Book of Mormon. So in my little nine-year-old heart, I used to go in there often when people weren't around and just do my best to try and read the different languages. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, the only one I could understand was English, but there was a power that came into my little heart that I knew that what was in this book was true. And in one of the rooms, they also had marble-type busts of Emma Smith, Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, and Martin Harris. If you reached around behind, there was a little red button you could push, and then the audio would come up sharing their testimony of the Book of Mormon. So I used to sit cross-legged on the floor in front of them, and one by one, I'd push the button and (laughs) listen to their testimonies. And it just awakened my heart. And I have loved the Book of Mormon ever since. And, And the restored gospel of Jesus Christ was that that seed was planted. That's just such a unique opportunity. I just can't get over it thinking Mm -hmm. of how young you were and how neat that must have been to just have that wonderful experience Mm -hmm. and remember that that's where those seeds were planted. I think that's so neat. Thank you for sharing. 
That would be quite the impact on a life, I think, for mm-hmm. that to be kind of your foundation <laughs> as a child. And I know that that home was not the exact place where Martin Harris lived, but I imagine that was reminding people of the significance of Martin Harris and his contributions. Maybe you could remind listeners and me, because I'm not a church history expert, the significance of that place. The Martin Harris farm was owned by Martin and Lucy Harris. And when Martin became a scribe for the Prophet Joseph Smith and then was involved in the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, he was asked by the Lord to mortgage his farm. There's 300 plus acres, I think, and use that mortgage to pay for the first 5,000 copies of the Book of Mormon to be published there at the Grand and Printing Press in Palmyra. And so for $3,000, he did so and made that possible. So I'm so grateful that Martin was willing to make that sacrifice. Thanks for reminding us and reminding listeners. And again, that kind of ties it all in of the significance of being surrounded by that history at such a young age. Thank you. So Shaylin had mentioned this article in the church news that you'd written and discussing your experience there in Palmyra. And in that article, you also reference a talk President Nelson gave in General Conference in 2019 called Spiritual Treasures that we've talked about often on the podcast because it's so significant to women in the church. And in that talk, he specifically talks about Harmony, Pennsylvania, which you also visited at this time when you lived in Palmyra. In that talk, President Nelson says everything that happened in this area, speaking about Harmony, Pennsylvania has profound implications for your lives. The restoration of the priesthood, along with the Lord's counsel to Emma, can guide and bless each of you. So, hearing President Nelson's words and reflecting on your own personal experience, having visited and lived near Harmony, Pennsylvania, what impact has the restoration of the priesthood and those words of the Lord to Emma Smith had for you throughout your life? Don't you love the name Harmony? This is a nice place. <laughs> yes. And that literally that word denotes the effects that came from the happenings that occurred in and around that area. And I love that Emma was such a great part of that. I have always adored her mm-hmm. and have tried to learn more and more about her. And one of the things that I love, too, is that she was among the first women who received personal revelation through the prophet Joseph section 25 of the Mm -hmm. Doctrine and Covenants. And that very first word has always had significance to me. The first word of that is hearken. And the Lord tells Emma to hearken unto the voice of the Lord. And then he calls her by name and calls her his daughter. And sometimes I'll slip my own name in that slot with Emma's and then just read it as if that was given to me. And I think of the things that she sacrificed and the experiences that she had through her life that were really hard. But the priesthood that was restored there, the ironic priesthood for being able to baptize and for the ministering of angels and receiving the Holy Ghost eventually through the Melchizedek priesthood and other covenants that eventually came along as she and Joseph and others experienced the unfolding of the restoration has made such a powerful impact on my own life as I have recognized what the Lord revealed there to Joseph, and Emma was his compliment right by his side, has affected everyone who is living now and whoever has lived on this whole earth. And it is what brings harmony to our lives if we will follow those covenants and ordinances and partake of the things that the Lord's revealing and that he did reveal at that time through Joseph Smith. I think it's beautiful how you're saying the place harmony literally has brought harmony 
to your life. And I just think about that talk by President Nelson, and I love how he's not prescriptive in how we should connect to the restoration of the priesthood and how we access the power of God. He really does leave it up to us. And I'm just wondering if you have any specific examples of how you've done that in your life. There are so many. When you're looking for them, you see them, don't you? And asking even Heavenly Father in prayer to show me, as each of us could do, how that has impacted your personal life. I think of so many different examples of where priesthood power has made an impact. Um, one that comes to mind was when I was a mother, of, I had that time three young children, and we had just moved to a new city, and I became very, very ill. My husband was traveling a lot at the time, and he was on the other side of the, the United States, and I was barely getting around. <laughs> In fact, I was crawling around my house trying to care for my little ones. I couldn't even carry my baby up the stairs. And I remember just laying down on the floor one day and asking Heavenly Father for help. And then I had the thought to call my friend who lived next door. I just barely met her. A new friend. <laughs> A yeah. new friend. Uh -huh. And ask her if she would please be willing just for an hour to take my children so that I could drive myself down to the Instacare. So she did. And what ended up following was the need for more tests and other things to determine how to help me. When I got home, before picking up my children, I just sat down at my kitchen table and put my hands on my head and just began to sob. And at that moment, the thought came to my mind, you know someone. And I did. I knew one other person in the whole city. <laughs> and I called her. And just in the course of our conversation and kind of explained what was going on, and she assured me that everything would be okay, and we said goodbye. Within 10 minutes, the angels came. My newly called visiting teachers at the time came in and took my laundry. They brought me dinner for my children and I. Others came and took the kids. My other friend made arrangements to take me over to the hospital for the further tests that were needed. And someone else contacted my husband and made arrangements to pick him up at the airport. And what had been an overwhelming outlook for me became one of peace because of these angels who had come to help me, these heavenly angels and earthly angels. And the power of the priesthood is real. Through all of this process, what originally was thought to be ended up not being an issue, and I was healed. And through all that, my dad, his name is Larry Porter, was up in Ogden one day doing a fireside with the church education system. And coming home late at about 10 o'clock one night, he just felt the prompting to stop at my home. And so I heard a knock on my door <laughs> just after 10. And when I finally made my way downstairs to the front door to answer, there was my father standing on the porch. And he said, I feel like you need me tonight. What can I do to help you? And he was able to give me a father's blessing, which again, brought great peace and I believe healing. Thank you so much for sharing that simple but very inspiring example. What I was thinking of as you shared that is that so often we rush around in our lives and try to make things work ourselves. <laughs> and it was in that moment where you could not do what you needed to do for yourself or for your family. And you turned to God and said, please help me. And like you said, he sent angels and you were looking because you couldn't do it yourself. And so you looked and you saw the impact of God's hand. And I do appreciate that this is simple in the sense that it wasn't extraordinary visitations or <laughs> anything really beyond just 
people stepping in and responding to probably promptings to help you. Mm-hmm. I think that can empower individuals too, that they can be God's hands, that they can step in and fulfill a need when they act on inspired promptings. And we realize that each one of us can be an answer to someone else's prayer. We mm-hmm. can be their angel. Yes. And that that is priesthood power, right? Mm -hmm. Right. When we keep our covenants, when we respond to inspiration and guidance, blessings come and we can be blessings for other people. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. Switching gears just a little, you and your husband served as mission leaders in the Baltic mission. And I think you've described it. It was demanding, very demanding. You shared with me, and this is quite amazing, that at one point, all of your children and their spouses, minus one, came to visit the mission home at the same time to stay with you and your husband. However, you also shared with us that you were awakened in the middle of one night to the news that your three-year-old grandson had drowned and he was miraculously restored to life. But I just can't imagine the horror and the helplessness that your family felt across the world as your family received updates from your son-in-law. So Kayleen, what were some of the miracles that you experienced together that night? And how did your faith sustain you when you thought your grandson wasn't going to survive the experience? This is probably one of the most faith-promoting experiences I've had. As my husband and I were asleep one evening, and just so that you understand the logistics of this, the Baltic is nine hours ahead of Utah time. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, there was a, a knock at our bedroom door, and when my husband got up and answered the door, our daughter was standing there sobbing uncontrollably. And when we finally calmed her down, the first thing she uttered was, Coleman has drowned. And as you mentioned, Coleman is her three-year-old son at the time. And as we put our arms around her and tried to comfort her, very distinctly, the thought came to my mind, ask for angels. And so I did. I immediately began praying. And I asked very specifically by name for angels to attend him and her from the other side. By that time, the rest of our children had been awakened, and they gathered around And at my husband's direction, we knelt in a circle together in our bedroom and began offering a prayer. As my daughter had been listening to her husband, who had called to inform her that he was following the ambulance to the hospital, but Coleman wasn't breathing, and he had been blue and pulled out of the pool by his aunt. At the time, there happened, and I might say here there are no coincidences, there happened to be a couple of sisters, Cece and Leah, who were there at the pool that day, and they immediately came over to help when he was pulled out of the water. And one of them was in nursing school in Virginia, and she and her sister began CPR. There also happened to be a highway patrolman who was listening to the police band and had just gotten off his shift and was only 30 seconds away from the pool when the 911 call went out. And he immediately headed to the swimming pool. And when he arrived, he recognized that Coleman's airway was still blocked, that he still wasn't getting any air. By this time, it's estimated that he had been without oxygen for anywhere from three to nine minutes. Officer Chamberlain Neff stuck his thumb in Coleman's mouth to clear out what was in there that was blocking it, and Coleman's teeth clamped down on him, but he knew that he had to keep that airway open. And he continued to do so, and when the paramedics arrived, the EMTs, um, they were working and working with him um, to try and establish some breathing. In the meantime, we were praying. And as Chris started following the ambulance to the hospital, he kept just saying, pray for Coleman, pray for Coleman. And we were. And he hung up so that he could drive safely. (laughs) 
And we continued to pray. And when we finished our, our kneeling prayer together, for which my husband was the voice, the phone rang again, and it was Chris, my son-in-law. And he was at Primary Children's Hospital. And the next thing we heard in the background was a little cry. And Coleman had come back. He was able to establish breathing on his own. And at that point, they weren't sure what kind of damage may have happened because of his being without oxygen for so long. So in the meantime, uh, we got a flight for my daughter. She got out on the next flight from Latvia to go home, not knowing the condition of her son, just that he was alive. And over the course of the next couple of days, miracles continued. And two or three days later, Coleman walked out of the hospital on his own perfectly normal, with no brain damage, and laughing like a little three-year-old again, pulling his red wagon full of the goodies that he had received. That's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing something so difficult, so tender, and like you said, so faith-promoting. I might emphasize, too, that the angels that were sent to help came from both sides of the veil, Mm -hmm. and it's very apparent to us, some of them here on earth, that were there the right time, and others who were sent and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just thought of the word helplessness that Shaylin used in the question and how you must have felt so far removed from the situation. And I can think of a lot of different experiences that women may have where they feel that helplessness, like they are powerless to impact a situation or to help. And in those moments to know that we can turn to prayer and that our Heavenly Father is listening and that He has the power to send those that can help to help or others to help. I think that that is one of the greatest blessings that we have as people of faith in our Savior Jesus Christ and in a God who does have power. I often think of Elisha and his servant who were surrounded by the Syrian army. And the servant, what shall we do in his despair of being completely overwhelmed? And Elisha's comment to him, fear not, they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And then he opened his eyes and they could see chariots of fire encircling them. And whether it's chariots of fire and a whole host, or if it's just one angel, we have access to that if we'll ask for them. Prior to leaving on our mission, my husband and I had the opportunity to attend the mission president's seminar that was held at the MTC in Provo. And the last night that we were there, we had the opportunity to meet for dinner with, at that time, President Nelson was the Quorum of the Twelve president, and his wife, Wendy, and several other couples. And as we were walking out of the room that evening, I just mentioned to Sister Nelson that I so much appreciated some words I had heard her speak a while back regarding asking for angels. And she looked at me very intently and said, Sister Harding, ask for them by name and let me know how that works. So I think that was part of what came to my mind when this situation arose, because the words that I heard in my mind were, ask for angels. And this is such a powerful reminder that I think that some people fall into this thought that prayer can just be like a trite thing, that it just is something that's habitual to us. But it's so much more than that. And we really can ask for these things. And it is just so powerful. And so I just appreciate that reminder. And it helps me to have a new perspective on my prayers and just how to use them. I know that as covenant-keeping women, as we draw upon that priesthood power and draw upon that which the Lord wants so much to bless us with, and sometimes it's just withheld because we don't ask for it. This is a great reminder. I really appreciate it, and I think our listeners will as well. 
as we've talked about this experience of you and your husband serving in the Baltic mission, I think it was after that, correct me if I'm wrong, that you then served at the MTC in Provo as a branch missionary. And you did this at a time, it was after President Thomas S. Monson had announced that young men could serve missions at age 18 rather than 19, and sisters could now serve at age 19 instead of 21, which was a pretty significant change. You mentioned in a previous conversation with us how remarkable it was as you served in the MTC to see the growth of the number of missionaries who chose to serve and how inspired these changes were. From your perspective, what did you see in these young sisters that shows how much Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ love and value women? Oh, I love that question. Just to provide a little more context, we served at the MTC for a year prior to going to the Baltic. Mm-hmm. Starting that January, right after President Monson had made that announcement in the October General Conference. And there was just an overwhelming wave mm-hmm. of missionaries who rose to that call. And oftentimes when the elders and sisters would come and we'd meet them for the first time as their branch presidency. We would ask them, why did you choose to serve a mission? And often the response, especially of the sisters, was, as I heard President Monson say that the sisters can now go at age 19, I felt something stir in my heart. I knew I was supposed to respond to that. And many of them came that very next semester, Mm -hmm. beginning in January. As soon as they could. Yes. Mm -hmm. They called their bishops, and I'm aware of some that called them that very day and said, how do I start my papers? And the resulting effect at the NTC was that there was so many missionaries that they had to open a West Campus over in the uh, Raintree Apartments that they Mm -hmm. rented for Mm -hmm. that (laughs) whole purpose. And there were so many missionaries that they began holding devotionals in the Marriott Center that summer. And the sisters brought a special spirit of compassion and perspective that I think was so very needed as they realized, I think more than ever, that they were a part of this gathering and that they had a responsibility in it. One experience, I was sitting in one of the pondering areas studying my scriptures one Sunday while we were there at the MTC, and I heard one of our districts come out of their room, and all of a sudden I hear a couple of the elders start singing, follow the sisters, follow the sisters, follow the sisters, they know the way. (laughs) And I just burst out laughing and watched them all walk down the stairs with the sisters in the lead and just thought, these sisters raised the bar. They elevate the conversation and they elevate the ideas and perspectives and power that comes into these districts and into the lives of missionaries in their laboring to bring others to Christ. I love that you mentioned that this influx of sister missionaries, you realized they were feeling like this is a way that they could contribute to the gathering of Israel. They felt that stirring to go. And I just feel like that overflows and extends to all women. That should be an inspiring call to all of us that we have these unique gifts and that we can provide this perspective and compassion and all of these different qualities when we're doing our small part to gather Israel. And so I just love that example that that's your takeaway is that this was a unique way for women to participate in the gathering of Israel and they knew that they belonged. And then serving our mission in the Baltic, we saw the impact of these remarkable missionaries, elders and sisters. The sisters had a real way of getting into the hearts of many of the people. And that was such a blessing. And then when we returned from our mission, 
we served again at the MTC for three additional years after that. And it was great to see from the perspective of when this wave started and then experiencing it in the mission field. And then again, coming back to the MTC and seeing the ongoing restoration of how the Lord's work was progressing. It was remarkable. I just don't think we can understate the impact of that change. I love what you shared about when you asked the sisters why they were there. I just think of the power of an invitation from the mouth of a prophet of God Mm -hmm. and then feeling very deeply and very personally, he's talking to me. This is something I can be involved in. And I just think that's neat. And then I just love when we have guests who talk about their experience with the missionaries who maybe wouldn't have had a chance to go or maybe wouldn't have had the desire or thought that it was something that they could do that these sisters decided to participate. So I feel like I want to mention this too. This past week, just in our ward, a sister spoke who also was of missionary age when this announcement happened and with a lot of prayer and fasting decided not to go on a mission, which was also a really hard decision because she's obviously a woman of great faith and she was seeing so many women around her decide to go on a mission and she wondered, is there something wrong with me that as I pray and search, I don't feel like that's the right choice for me? And she recounted that as the way she saw her life unfolding, that she had made the right choices to not serve and to serve, she said, in other ways to be engaged in that. So I just wanted to mention that because I think it goes both ways. I think there are many, many ways women can contribute to the gathering of Israel. And for some, that looks like going on a full-time mission. And for others, it's other paths, but all are welcome and invited to be part of that. Thank you for sharing that, Carly, because you're so right. What does it look like for me is Mm -hmm. the question, I Mm -hmm. think. And some of us may be inspired to do it one particular way, and others will receive personal direction to do it in another manner. But all of us can be part of it. And if we're listening, the Lord will help direct us to what He needs you to do or me to do. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Kayleen, currently you serve as a member of the General Primary Advisory Council. And the Primary General President, President Camille Johnson, recently gave such a beautiful talk in General Conference, and it's called Invite Christ to Author Your Story. She just mentioned, you know, as we trust the Savior and increase our faith, our whole lives and the outcome of our stories can change. She asks, what kind of personal narrative are you writing for your life? Will you invite him to be the author and finisher of your story? I was so inspired by her talk, and I just think it's so neat to now have you, who's serving with President Johnson, be with us today. We would love to ask you, Kayleen, why is this such an important concept for women to understand and implement into our lives? And then also, how can we be an example of this to the children we influence, whether it's primary or whether it's our own children or family members' children? Thank you for that question. I absolutely love Camille Johnson and her wonderful counselors, Susan Porter and Amy Wright. We love them, too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they are the women for our time, aren't they? They absolutely. are. And our, our call of God. I know that. One of the things that I believe Sister Johnson has really been focusing on and continues to focus on is how do we hear the Spirit? And when we hear the Spirit, recognize it. And as far as children are concerned, point it out to them. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good or I'm feeling happy or that's the Spirit. And help them recognize it when it comes to them. And that will help direct their story if they can establish this divine line between them and heaven where they feel like they can ask and seek and knock and get inspiration for their lives and how their story will be written. 
then you've connected them to something that is going to bring them peace and happiness, is going to help them accomplish the purpose for why they are here and understand where they are going and how to get there. I'm here and I'm making covenants with God and I'm going back home to Him and I'm on this covenant path that will take me there. But understanding that the power that is within that comes through the ordinances and covenants that they accept as they communicate with and follow the Spirit and do the things that our Heavenly Fathers showed them through His Son need to happen and made possible through His Son to happen. And life just becomes so much less overwhelming when we do turn our lives over to Jesus Christ to help us author our story. When we make and keep our covenants, it just helps us have so much purpose and it makes making decisions a lot easier. I mean, not that life isn't still hard, but it's just less overwhelming, I think, when we realize we have that help and that guidance. Yeah. Maybe I could share one experience of someone who came to understand that. When we first arrived in the Baltic and went to our very first meeting on Sunday at the rented space that was available at that time in Rigalapia, when we got out of the car and started walking down the sidewalk, it was a rainy day, and standing on the corner was a beautiful young woman with long dark hair and holding a red umbrella. And as we approached, she recognized us as being members of the church, most likely because of the way that we were dressed and where we were going. And she introduced herself, and I just was so thrilled to find that she had been one of the most recently baptized members of that particular branch. And I was so grateful to get to know her over time. And there was a particular evening that she came to the mission home, and we had an opportunity to visit with her. And she had a lot of opposition from her family. She was the only member, and from friends who tried to deter her from following her, <laughs> her heart and keeping the gospel. And as she explained to us about her conversion process, one of the things that she mentioned that I will never forget is that she said, all of my life I was taught that I was just a sinner and that I would amount to nothing. I just had to do my best to do whatever I could. And then when I met some missionaries, and I discovered that I am a daughter of God, with tears in her eyes, she said, that changed everything. And then getting on the covenant path and being able to make covenants and be endowed with more power from on high to keep those covenants just helped her get on a pathway that brought her so much hope. That's so neat. Thank you so much for sharing her story. Kayleen, is there anything else you would like to share with the women of the church or those listening to this podcast? One of the things that I've been pondering a lot about lately is President Nelson's message in the Sunday morning session of conference, where he talked about strengthening our spiritual foundations and that we do so through our temple covenants. And I was so impressed with the promise that he gave when he talked about, speaking of some of the things we've been talking about, it won't surprise you that this caught my attention. He talked about learning how, as we keep our understanding, keep our temple covenants, learning how to part the veil between heaven and earth and how to ask for God's angels to attend you and also how better to receive direction directly from heaven. And I love that we have a prophet of God who is stepping forward just as Joseph did in his day when the Restoration began in our latter days. And President Nelson is continuing to help lead us through that ongoing Restoration and help us to understand the power of the priesthood that we all have access to, men and women, and that we need to 
access that more in our lives. And we do so by being covenant keepers. We do so by striving our best to just follow the things that our prophet has told us, to feast on the words of our Savior Jesus Christ. One of my favorite scriptures, and you know how some of us have the plaques that go on the wall during our missions. You know. mm-hmm. One of my favorite scriptures is 2 Nephi 31, verse 20. It's the one that says, press forward with steadfastness in Christ, with a perfect brightness of hope and the love of God and of all men. And if ye shall press forward, feasting upon the words of Christ, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. In other words, we'll make it back home. We'll stay on the covenant path. We'll be bound to our Savior and to Him through the covenants that we make. And we'll find the joy that is inherent, the little sparks of joy all along the way. And then ultimate joy and peace, too, as we return to His presence. Kayleen, thank you so much for sharing your experiences, your insight, and your testimony. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, we've been glad to have you here. Thanks. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning into this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. As a reminder, we have new episodes released every week, and we hope you'll continue to tune in and share the episodes with your friends and family members. We also have been so grateful to hear from so many listeners via email and on Apple podcast reviews, and we hope you'll continue to share your thoughts and feedback. Feel free to contact us at podcast at churchofjesuschrist.org with any suggestions for topics or guests. We also want to make sure our listeners are aware that the podcast is available just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. So in addition to being on the church's website, it's also available on the Gospel Library app, Saints Channel mobile app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere. So tune in, subscribe, and please continue to share these voices and stories of women of faith with your friends and family. Finally, we'd like to thank our wonderful editor, Kurt Dahl, and our producer, Matthew Mangum, and the many others who support this podcast. Until next week, I'm Carly Guyman. And I'm Shailen Back. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.